Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. This is episode number 110. It's an encore presentation from an earlier episode, number 45, that aired in December 2016. It's called Freedom Management. I'm joined now by Luca Solari, who's a professor at the University of Milan. How are you doing, uh, Luca? I'm doing well. Thank you, Charles. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show. So you've written a book called Freedom Management, How Leaders Can Stay Afloat in the Sea of Social Connections. Why did you want to write this book? You know, Charles, I've been uh, researching organizations and uh, helping managers try to change them and fix problems in them for so many years. And uh, what I was left with the impression of is that many times, uh, most of the problems do not come because uh, our organization are not engaging people enough, but it's because we are trying to engage them in a wrong way. And that's where the initial idea of freedom management started. And then it got coupled with my fresh interest into uh, freedom uh, theories across different domains, economics, politics, and now hopefully also organizational theory. Well, freedom management is um, an interesting idea, but I'm not sure um, most people would um, understand initially exactly what it's about. Uh, what is what is the main message uh, of your book? The main message is that the way we have designed organization based on the framework of command and control uh, has rendered them quite hostile at times to uh, the initiative by individuals. So instead of uh, having organization as a tool to reach out to very complex goals, many times we end up being trapped by them, trapped by procedures, rules, power, uh, and politics as well. And many people just give up. So we end up having organization packed with extraordinary individuals who give up and uh, just use their energy elsewhere. So the idea is that we have to untap that, but in order to do so, we have to completely change the way we think about organizations. You know, there seems to be a tension in organizations between, um, you know, organizing people to get something done in the interest of the firm or the, or the organization itself, and then allowing individuals within the organization to do something that they want to do on their own. It's sort of their uh, internal drive for uh, fulfillment uh, from their work. Uh, in the book, do you propose a way to resolve this tension? Yes, Charles. I think that, you know, the tension uh, is rooted in the way we have created modern organizations, which uh, were built upon the idea of uh, uh, designing uh, how they should be working, ideally, uh, and then forcing people onto that. Um, on one side, we're now moving into uh, the need of have organization who are able to innovate, to be more creative, to react uh, more rapidly. And in order to do so, I propose in the book to start thinking about organizations and organization design in a completely different way, which means uh, basically to think that we start from an architecture which needs to be flexible enough and then we need to experiment ways of organizing and seeing how people can fit into that uh, and maybe also uh, self-manage and create their own uh, organization uh, instead of just following through 
complex sets of rules, procedures, and processes. I, I do understand just that, you know, initially that sounds quite utopian, but if we start looking at uh, emerging forms of organization, they really do resemble more this model than the traditional one. And maybe in a not too distant future, even more traditional industries, thanks to the increasing robotization and uh, use of alternative technologies might be able to leverage the initiative freedom, creativity of individuals as well. Yeah, I think you're contrasting the old way in which organizations are, uh, let's say, on the model of uh, Frederick Winslow Taylor and his scientific management. It's sort of a uh, instrumentality uh, view of the world where organizations are trying to do something in in the world and create profit or shareholder value or, or whatever else their goal might be. Uh, you're thinking of an organization more as a complex adaptive system uh, with uh, made up of individual agents uh, that are all the employees and, and management and so on. And you're looking for order to emerge from below, I think. Yes, exactly. And, you know, this is much consistent with what I deal with in Chapter 1, which is the links to uh, the evolution of freedom theories, starting from, uh, you know, the liberal movements in economics and uh, political sociology. And I end up spontaneous order as being uh, always superior to uh, design. And this idea of spontaneous order has been very popular across economics starting from the so-called Austrian School of Economics by von Ayer von Mises and then Milton Friedman in the U.S., but uh, they never really extended that to uh, corporations. And there are no reason to think that spontaneous order markets might fare better in organizing complex subsets of systems. They could not be as, uh, as well better in organizing complex subsets sets of systems like organization have grown into being today. So probably in the end, you know, allowing for uh, individual free agents to interact will create some coordination issues. But when you need to be adaptive, uh, there's no central authority which can eventually really take all the decisions and assure that they get to be uh, deployed. Yeah. So what what problem would you say you're solving here with freedom management? You're, you're of course, uh, looking at aspects of freedom for the individuals in the organization, but what is the problem that we're addressing here? You know, I, I, I think it's part of the problem I have faced when working with, with organizations. The idea that we are um, not really uh, using all the uh, energy the ability and competence of individuals within organizations. And the problem there is that we end up being trapped in an idea of efficiency, which means trying to do things as rapidly as possible at the lower possible cost, but at the same time, we're not leveraging energies that we're paying for. So I, I, I use many times when I deliver keynotes, uh, the example of a manufacturing manager at Fiat, who I met several years ago during a research project. He had moved to uh, what is today Case New Holland, and he told me that the biggest realization in his life was the day when he realized that 
uh, the company had been paying uh, workers to uh, work manually, uh, but by doing so, the company had acquired also their brains. The only problem was uh, they were never using those brains. I mean, uh, individuals were using those brains, but clearly the company never realized how powerful they could have been if only they had really been committed to what they were doing. So I think that pretty much it. I think it's really at the core of what we are doing. We, we keep trying to engage people. We keep telling them that they need to be committed to things. And we don't realize that people get to be committed not because we just tell them, not just not because we invest into that, we communicate to them, but because they really capture the meaning and the sense of what they are doing. I think you come from the school that would say people are internally motivated to do a good job and they want to use their potential uh, in the organization and to fulfill their own purpose in life to, to contribute something. On the other hand, organizations, I think, for a long time have thought of workers as simply hands that would um, take a process and and fulfill the goal and yet a lot of workers when going to work they're not enthusiastic they're they're just trudging through the day trying to fill the time and and as you say not using their brains and their creativity in a way that would help the organization definitely i i come from that tradition and in the in the book i made it very clear that i see a direct link with uh, work by Daisy and Ryan, for instance, who have been pointing out very clearly that the strongest form of motivation uh, comes from uh, intrinsic motivation, which is really making sense of what you're doing and connecting what you're doing to your uh, long-term goals, your desire, what you do like. I understand it might seem difficult to align uh, that to technical stuff and issues connected to producing and to uh, deploying services. But my point here is that we have always been uh, trapped in the idea uh, from the scientific management theory that you design technically the process first and then you try to align people to that. Despite occasional spurts when people started thinking about let's empower people to change the process the way they work, uh, this has never been the cornerstone of the way we design organization from the bottom up. You know, a lot of organizations and, and large companies in the U.S. Um, have uh, imp- implemented uh, agency theory in which they've tried to incentivize the C-suite and the management uh, group uh, with, with stock options and various things in order to um, align their interests with those of the owners. I'm guessing that you do not believe in agency theory and that uh, you you advocate a totally different uh, way of, of incentivizing people uh, yes Charles that that's that's really uh, the way I believe I mean it's uh, it's not just me the criticism on the way agency theory has been extended to management incentives has been mounting uh, I remember a wonderful article by uh, Sumantra Goshal uh, when uh, right before dying, actually, he voiced very strongly that business schools had been instrumental to portraying a way of uh, managing and uh, defining goals, which was inherently wrong because it brought all only incentives at the core of how people end up being motivated. 
And more recently, uh, several companies are abandoning the idea of traditional performance management as being a process completely goal-based and connected to incentives to embrace what somebody is defining as conversational performance management, which basically means being able to capture the positivity in the way people do. You're right on the point. Uh, I think agency theory was, was a very powerful theory, uh, which implicitly told us something about how to try to regulate connections between uh, stakeholders and managers, but it was based and it is based on a very simplistic set of assumptions as to what really motivates people. And uh, it also rests on the ability to control for uh, a set of factors which might promote more opportunistic behavior. So I think what we are realizing across organization today is that, uh, you know, just setting goals and assigning uh, incentives to reach those goals points the attention to the ends and not to the means. If we get managers to uh, target uh, goals which are very ambitious, we uh, push them into thinking that anything is allowed and they might be exhausting resources and even uh, losing the ability to commit people to the uh, path of the organization as a, as a whole. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned in the book that uh, uh, HR professionals in some organizations have sort of a semi-religious belief in performance management and, and calibration of performance uh, indicators. I'm, I think I'm hearing you say that this is an approach we need to move away from. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, in the book, I talk about an organization that I, uh, I, I did research upon in which everything stopped at the time they had to go through calibration. And if you, know, if you ended up really analyzing, and that's what they asked me to do, how results were connected to the overall judgment process, you ended up seeing that you know, in the end, the processes behind were not that much connected to, 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 to results. And that's why uh, I think we, we need to start moving out of that paradigm and start thinking about performance uh, as a dialogue, a conversation, which is an ongoing fact. It's part of the ongoing relationship between uh, individuals within the organization. And I wouldn't restrict that to the dialogue between uh, managers and subordinates because it's my view that you know freedom manager will be something very different from the the managers and leaders we do have today they will be more acting more as support and consultant to what's going on and maybe looking further than the others analyzing patterns of innovation and creativity within the organization so you know in order for that to work you have to release the idea of having uh, somebody in command of others, which is so key to the way performance management has been designed. Yeah, I think you're making the point that you can't really manage people. You have to enable people uh, to exercise their creativity and their their agency. Um, how, how do you how do you see organizations um, reacting to your ideas? Are there are there organizations that are now following the principles of freedom management that you could point to? Yeah, um, 
let me tell you that I, I, I do make reference to some of them in the book, and uh, clearly some of them are uh, small organization, exponential organization, the way they are being called today, which are really leveraging individuals. But at the same time, uh, I've come across a small organization in uh, more traditional industries in my in my research experience, which somehow not, uh, let's say, uh, explicitly are uh, moving into this direction. And it's where you see entrepreneurs who don't think they have it all, they know it all, but who really leverage the ability of, uh, of, of, of their teams to contribute, to innovate, to assume different roles and experiment with those. So, I, I, you know, in a sense, I don't think this is so new. Uh, I think it's something we forgot and it's happening somewhere, but a large organization, we do think it cannot work. So if you're an individual within an organization, how can you avoid feeling trapped according to your, your theory? Uh, you know, I think that uh, institutions uh, are there because we believe in them. So I'm kind of the, uh, on the brave side of things. I think people really need to start speaking up. Uh, and, you know, people need to uh, keep having the, 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 the hope of uh, finding a place where they can really put all their uh, energy into uh, so not to be trapped, you first need to uh, really uh, act uh, in a way that prevents uh, the trapping to happen. Um, just to give an, a very practical example about that, many times when we are in an organization where we don't perceive that our contribution is being evaluated in a correct way, we tend basically to just give up and get back to doing the ordinary. I think that, you know, that's a way to justify what's going on. So it's much better, and that's what I tell people when I t talk about change management, to take action, even though it might end up uh, nowhere, than just giving up. Because when you give up and you don't voice your ideas, your freedom, uh, then you know, there's no way that things might be changing outside. So that's kind of an internal locus of control approach. Uh, I've been doing that. And, you know, at times you just realize there's nothing you can do. And then it's time for you to leave that organization, probably. But many other times, just, you know, struggling against that can have incredible effects and make really people realize that a different way of managing, a different way of organizing could be viable. Yeah. Well, how can people uh, connect more with your ideas? I, I know the book is available on Amazon, but are there are there other ways to connect with you? And and uh, what what are some of the what's the key message that you might want to leave us with as we wrap up? Oh yeah, Charles, uh, I'm running a blog as well, which can be easily found online. Uh, just type in my name. The the blog is Freedom to Management, uh, and I'm planning now to launch a set of uh, blog entries, which will be covering some of the ideas which did not end up being in the book, but are rooted in the book. So that could be a way to keep the conversation ongoing. And, you know, as for the messages, think about the connection between 
how little time we spend here and how much of that time is connected to the work we do and therefore how much mean we lose when the work we do is completely not connected to uh, what we dream, what we desire. Uh, so it might be harmful at times, it might be hard, but my message would be to start really thinking about, let's say, making work more meaningful to, to you and to foster freedom and creativity across organizations. That's the message for everybody. So I, I never give up on that. As for managers, my message is to start worrying because all research on the future of organization points to the fact that much of what they have been trained on will be of basically no use or almost. So they really need to start thinking about their role as a more dynamic role, more connected to, to learning, looking around. And, you know, you see that happening. Uh, you see that happening even at big four com consulting companies, which are trying to reach out to kids, basically teens, right out of high school to understand from them as startuppers what's going on. And, you know, and I keep uh, having requests by companies here in Italy to get some of our students to join them because they might have more innovative ideas and so forth. So, you know, things are already happening right, right now. So it's time, though, to think carefully about the fact that this means that management will take on a completely different role, which is freedom management. Yeah. We're entering a new age, in a sense. Uh, command and control is no longer working. The millennials are coming along uh, who have um, ideas on their own that they would like to not just go to work and you know endure the eight hours uh, on the job in, in some kind of mechanical way, but rather contribute and to achieve something. Um, and, and this new cohort of, of folks coming along uh, might be driving some of this. Have you seen that yourself? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, I keep seeing that in students, but I had recently a very interesting experience. My, my son had, uh, had a bad accident while driving his scooter, so uh, we get many of his friends here at home, and they are all teens between uh, 17 and 20 years old. And today I ended up uh, posting on Facebook the fact that I perceive that they are much better than we were. The reason being they are so much into so many different things, and they are so committed to what they do and so really inspired to that. So uh, it, it, it's happening. And, the, you know, the problem is that when they enter organization, that kind of energy, enthusiasm, many times is met with different expectation on our side. We don't think uh, they, they are like that. We think that they need to adjust, to adapt. And who are they? after all, to think that the world should be changing. So, in a sense, this is really happening and happening very fast. And, you know, there's a, a book and a theory which I uh, consider in, uh, in the first two chapters of the book, which comes from the work by Ingelart. And Ingelart uh, is uh, an American political researcher who tried to understand how values were changing across the globe. And he ended up saying that this is happening. People are moving from uh, more traditional ideas to more secular ideas on one side. And on the other side, uh, people are moving into more and more the 
the, the importance of the meaning for themselves and their self-realization. This is happening across all cultures and countries, even though clearly we all start from very different position into that. So it's a trend. It's not just, you know, episodic. It's uh, part probably of the process through which uh, our societies are growing and uh, acquiring more, uh, more meaning and value. Yeah, I think it's a very positive message in terms of uh, more freedom for the worker and, and helping them to self-actualize um, their, own, their own goals and being able to achieve those within the organization. Uh, as you say, it's, it's a wake-up call for managers to realize that much of what they learned in the past is really not working anymore. Command and control is sort of dead, and we need to think more dynamically and uh, creatively in how, how we bring people and, and the work together. Uh, so anyway, we're going to have to wrap up here, but thanks very much, uh, Luca, for joining us today. It's been uh, been a great pleasure. And uh, we'll have on the show notes uh, links to the book and your um, uh, blog post. Charles, let me thank you so much. Uh, it's been really a pleasure to have the opportunity of discussing those ideas. And I look forward to uh, more conversation on this and hopefully one day a Freedom Management Day which will uh, signify the big change that we will be going through. Okay, sounds great, Luca. Thanks very much. And that about wraps it up for this episode. Join us again next time when we'll again consider stories about organizations and their performance. In the meantime, you can access the show notes for this episode as well as all of our other episodes at our website, ageofoe.com. And as a reminder, you can find a copy of my book out on Amazon. Uh, It's called Become Truly Great, Serve the Common Good Through Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. It tells about my favorite management method, Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness, and how it's the engine of true greatness. And I'm your host, Charles Chandler, saying so long for now.